Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim the bookshelf and read the world. Today, I'm talking to Julia Tertian about her latest cookbook, Simply Julia, which is out now from Harper Wave. You can find a complete transcript of our conversation over on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So if you talk to me for any length of time, you realize that when I'm not spending time working in the book world or, uh, you know, spending time with Dylan, my corgi, um, I am cooking or watching food TV or looking up cookbooks that I want to buy and adding to my wish list. I love cooking. And this really comes from having a very restricted diet from the time I was a teenager. And so I realized that if I wanted to eat quality food, I had to learn to make it myself. And because of those you know, dietary restrictions, not a lot of people knew how to cook in a way where I could eat that food. And so that's why it was important for me to learn how to cook. And so when I open a, up a cookbook now, I go into it understanding that I probably won't be able to eat most of the recipes. Now, of course, I still love reading these cookbooks, but I'm always having to adapt recipes so that I can eat them. But when I picked up Julia Tertian's cookbook, Simply Julia, I opened it up and I started, you know, looking through the recipes and I was like, oh, I can, I could eat that one. And the next one, oh, I could eat that too. And oh, look, she mentions a substitution for people who are gluten-free. I could eat this one too. And I realized that the majority of the recipes in the book I could eat or they were easily adaptable, which was also mentioned in the text, uh, so I could eat them. And in the introduction of the cookbook, Julia talks about how her wife was diagnosed with diabetes. And so she wanted to create these recipes so that she and her wife could eat these really comforting recipes, but we're also very conscious of health. So in this interview, we really dig into what does it mean when we say healthy eating? What is healthy eating? We talk about body image and so many other things, including my obsession with lentils and Julia's obsession with beans. I mean, it's a beautiful interview and I was so delighted to be able to have this joy of food and and to be able to have this very joyful conversation about food and how much we love it and our different experiences with it. For me personally, being able to actually talk to a cookbook author who's created recipes that are accessible to me, a disabled person with a very particular diet, was so meaningful. So I could not be more grateful that Julia joined me for this conversation. So a little bit about her before we jump in to our conversation. Julia Tertian is the best-selling author of Now and Again, Feed the Resistance, and Small Victories. She also hosts the AICP-nominated podcast, Keep Calm and Cook On. She has co-authored numerous cookbooks and has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, and more. Epicurious has called her one of the 100 greatest home cooks of all time, and the New York Times has described her as being at the forefront of of the new generation of authentic, approachable authors. 
She sits on the Kitchen Cabinet Advisory Board for the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History and is the founder of Equity at the Table, an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food. She lives in the Hudson Valley with her wife and their dogs. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the wonderful Julia Tertian. Well, welcome, Julia, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you. When I am not talking about books, I am talking about food. And <laughs> in fact, I have an entire two bookshelves dedicated to my food books because I'm, I'm very passionate about it, like a lot of us are. But this is my first uh, interview with a cookbook author. So I'm just over the moon excited. I, I don't know why I didn't think that those two worlds could have combined. Yeah, it's. I, I'm really excited to talk to you for so many reasons, including that. And I'm very honored to be the first cookbook author you've had on. Um, and I do think it kind of speaks to how books get sort of categorized, you know, by booksellers, by libraries, by readers, um, and that cookbooks aren't often considered like quote unquote, real books. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about all of the above. So yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you have this amazing cookbook that uh, called Simply Julia, um, but this isn't your first cookbook. Uh, so what were some of the previous stuff you've worked on and what was different about this book that you specifically wanted to change and maybe take a different take on how you'd previously written cookbooks in the past? Sure. You know, I have worked on a range of cookbooks and I've done a combination of authoring my own cookbooks. Um, so I've done my first solo cookbook came out in 2016. It was called Small Victories. In 2017, I did a book that had a bunch of contributors to it called Feed the Resistance. And in 2018, I did another solo book called Now and Again. But previous to that, for like a decade before that, and to this day, I continue to do a lot of collaborative work on cookbooks. I do a lot of co-authoring, a lot of like basically project management, um, lots of writing. So all in all, when you count all the books I've helped kind of shepherd into the world, both my own and other people's, Simply Julia is the 15th cookbook I've worked on. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, a wide range of experiences. And the second part of your question, how is this one different? Is that what you asked mm -hmm. me, I think? Right? Okay. So I would say Simply Julia is absolutely the most practical book I've ever written. And I also believe it to be the most personal book I've ever written. So I think those two qualities are things I've tried to, you know, imbue in all the other things I've worked on, you know, making work that's really practical and useful, but also work that's, you know, personal. But I think this book is definitely like the most of, of both of those things. Yeah. And I loved your intro where you described kind of the philosophy of how you were writing this book, which I always really love to read because it kind of sets the tone for the whole book and your take on food and how you want to present your recipes and why you've included the recipes you have in this book. Um, and you talk a little bit about how your wife has type one diabetes. And so you wanted to change the way or, or focus, I guess, on the type of foods that you would cook at home for her and for you and how you eat on an everyday basis. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that helped you strategize and, and plan out this cookbook? Sure. Yeah. You know, this book is 
it's from me and I am a home cook, you know, a daily home cook pre pandemic, which I think is just important to mention because unlike a lot of other cookbook authors, I'm not also running a restaurant or a bakery. I'm not also on television. I don't also run a blog. Like I am all about home cooking. This is what I do all day, every day. And so all the food in this book comes from my home kitchen to yours, which means two things. One, I'm writing from the seat and mentality of a home cook. So I'm not writing recipes that are trying to impress <laughs> anyone. I'm just trying to like make dinner that we enjoy. And I'm also not ever going to tell you to use like two or three pans or bowls if you can get away with using one because us home cooks do so much labor. You know, we don't just cook. We're also cleaning up. We're also grocery shopping and organizing and keeping track of like a mental inventory. And so I just wanted to acknowledge all those things. But the other part about this book coming from my home kitchen to everyone else's is my home kitchen is the one that serves both me and my wife, Grace. And Grace, about five years ago as an adult, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And to make a complicated and um, just very demanding, I would say, chronic illness, to simplify it, to oversimplify it, if anyone listening doesn't know, because um, I didn't know so much before she was diagnosed, you know, type one and type two are very different. And type one means your body essentially is not producing insulin, which is a really necessary thing for our survival. So basically every time you eat, you need insulin. Um, and if we, you know, if you don't live with type one, your body manages this on its own and it, it does it and it functions really well. And if you have type one, you have to do that on your own. So basically Grace has to all day, every day, like everyone who lives with type one has to just do all of this calculation and figure out what she's eating, how much insulin she needs to take. So this is all to say when she was very first diagnosed and she was learning all this, cause it's like learning a new language, you know, it was much easier if she was eating incredibly sort of low carb foods because they just require less insulin. And if she was eating really simple stuff, so it was easy to know exactly what was in it, how much was in it, just as she was figuring out this new math, basically, <laughs> that she was going to have to do forever. So yeah, it was really helpful to eat like this lower carb diet when she was first diagnosed. And as time has gone on, you know, I mentioned this was a few years ago, that's changed. You know, she's learned the new language and she can eat whatever she wants whenever she wants. But that kind of caretaking, um, that sort of level of consideration I was applying to what I was cooking, you know, that hasn't changed for me. One of the things I love about the fact that I love to cook is that it's a way for me to express care and consideration. But anyway, a lot of those kind of lower carbohydrate, but very familiar, very comforting foods, you know, that was like a scary time for us. Um, and so I wanted to give Grace, as the person who does most of the cooking in our house, like I wanted to give her foods that she loved and were super comforting and made her feel a bit more taken care of at like a particularly scary time. And so a lot of those foods are foods we continue to really enjoy, even as like her restrictions have become, you know, absent and non-restrictive. Yeah. And that can be such an overwhelming time when you're just starting out a new medical diet and you begin like looking at all of the labels and all of the things and 
I don't know, for me, when I was diagnosed back when I was a teenager, I, they didn't require the allergens on the labels at the bottom. Like, so you had to like scroll through everything. Mm. And so my mom didn't really know what to do. Like she didn't really know, have the tools to figure Mm -hmm. all of this out. So I kind of more did that as an adult. And so when I was reading your cookbook and I read that, I was like, oh, I might, I might actually be able to eat food in this cookbook Mm -hmm. and that made me very excited and it's it's one of the first cookbooks where I've read it and it was kind of asking me to kind of upgrade my own cooking style in a way that was helpful as opposed to trying to make me cook like someone else Mm. it was saying you can cook like you here are some extra tools you can do to like upgrade your cooking or maybe just new ideas. And I felt invited into the cookbook instead of being like a bystander on the outside. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because that's such an incredible thing to me as someone who loves food and reads a gazillion cookbooks Mm -hmm. a year and is really into food that I felt like this was one of the first ones that was kind of for me, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it means so much to me to hear. And I just thank you for that. And that is definitely something I try and do with my work and definitely in this cookbook. I want it to feel welcoming. I don't want anyone to feel judged when they open it for any reason. You know, what you eat, what you don't eat, your cooking ability or lack thereof, your body, you know, whatever. Like, I just really wanted it to feel warm and inviting and personal to kind of welcome you, but also as much about you as it is about me. So I don't know, hearing how it's landed for you just means a lot to me. So thank you. I I really appreciate it. And I, uh, you won't, listeners won't be able to see this, but I have tabbed <laughs> your cookbook. It's my love language. <laughs> Post-its. And I would go, I've been through it and I would go to mark recipe and I was like, oh, I've already marked that one. Okay, well, just use the tab on a different one. Um, I really loved it because I have these staples in my kitchen that I always keep. Like I have, I love lentils. You talk to me for 10 minutes about food and I'll start talking about lentils. I've been working on lentil recipes since 2019 (laughs) just because they're my, almost my favorite ingredient now. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's kind of funny. Uh, So... I um, love that. And I have with them, I have always hot sauce. I need mm-hmm. heat in all of my food. I always have uh, curry in my in my spice cabinet. So you have these lists in the front of your cookbook, which I fell in love with. And I was like, oh, what are my five? I've had this whole conversation with myself. And my <laughs> husband's like, why are you muttering to yourself over there with that cookbook? I was like, oh, I'm planning. He's like, more lentils? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Does he like lentils as much as you do or... Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's lenteled out. Um, also, he, bless, uh, he <laughs> is from California and I'm from Appalachia, but somehow I love heat and he doesn't. Hmm. If you're not, your eyes aren't watering and you don't have that beautiful tingle on your tongue, mm-hmm. I don't think it's hot enough. And he is like, no. No, he's the mild sauce kind of white guy, (laughs) and I make fun of him endlessly about it. So a lot of times I'll just make lentils with tons of spice, Um, accidentally put like twice as much jalapeno powder in Mm -hmm. this spatch, and now I'm just like, you know, sinus season, let's just clean out the sinuses. Yeah, clear it out. (laughs) It's really good. But um, 
So how did, how did you narrow it down to like five items in each of these different categories that you talk about in the front of the book? Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned this in the book, but I, in a lot of cookbooks, not every cookbook, but often in cookbooks, you will find either in the front or the back of the book, like an ingredient kind of section, a pantry section, an equipment list where someone, you know, the author will tell you all the things you need to make everything in the book. Um, or they'll tell you there are things that, you know, they can't live without and stuff like that. I've written lists like that in the past for my own books, for other people's books. And I basically, in Simply Juliet, just wanted to be the least stressed out <laughs> I could possibly be as a cookbook author in the hopes of not stressing any cookbook reader out. And to be just totally honest and transparent, those types of lists like that are exhaustive and that tell you all these things you need to have, even though like you really don't need to have all those things, they just stress me out. They stress me out to read and they stress me out to write. You know, I feel like what if I'm missing something or what, what if I'm calling for something that someone doesn't want or, you know, I just, you know, even thinking about it now, I'm stressed out. So in this book, I wanted to do something a little bit more, I don't know, like lighthearted, but still hopefully helpful. So instead of one long, long, you know, exhaustive section, I did five separate lists. Each of the list has five items on it. And you don't need any of these things. I just wanted to share in these five different sections things that are really useful to me. So it's like the five spices I always have on hand. It's fine if you don't have them. These are the ones I have. The five things that are always in my cupboard. The five things I kind of think about and do to just make sure the atmosphere in my kitchen is really fun. So that includes like putting music on when I cook or maybe using like my grandmother's dishes when we eat and not caring if one breaks in the process because at least I'm using it, you know, that kind of thing. So I feel like it's really cool for me to hear that you were out loud having like a conversation with the book. Cause I always think of myself as being in a conversation with my readers. That's how I think about my writing. That's how I write. I think about, you know, I want it to have my voice. Like I, I want it to sound like we're talking and I feel like I'm listening <laughs> when I'm writing. So the fact that you were, you know, saying this stuff out loud and your husband was like, who are you talking to? I feel like me, <laughs> like right here, I'm right here. Like we're talking, like we're in this conversation. Um, so that's really cool to hear. And part of what excites me about hearing that is that that's exactly why I was like, okay, just five things each, not 15 things or 25 things, just a handful, because I think that can help encourage other people to think about, okay, what are your five things? And, you know, for you, it's like lentils. It sounds like hot, uh, spicy things, you know, like, and it's fun to think about, or I think it's fun to think about like what makes your kitchen, your kitchen, like what makes the food you love, the food you love. Like, I don't know. I think these are really like pleasant things to think about. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is PillPack from Amazon Pharmacy. 
Whenever I have medication that I'm trying to get my hands on, I feel like it's an extra job trying to coordinate what medication is coming when and trying to get to the pharmacy to pick it up. But with Amazon Pharmacy, it saves me so much time by delivering my medication right to my door. There's no more waiting in line. There's no more coordinating with my spouse. It just appears at my front door and it's really easy to have my doctor's office send my prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy. And Amazon Pharmacy works with most major insurance plans nationwide. Also, as an Amazon Prime member, I get free two-day delivery and save on prescription medication when paying without insurance. So with Amazon Pharmacy, Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at amazon.com slash readingwomen. That's amazon.com slash readingwomen. Amazon.com slash readingwomen. And thanks so much to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially um, like you include kimchi and I, I love kimchi. I'm very into pickling, which mm-hmm. is another thing that my spouse hates uh so (laughs) he doesn't know why i love pickled onions and i make them all the time because they go on everything yeah they're so good and i was like look she even includes like some like pickled things in here and (laughs) he just is like rolling his eyes at me like oh my goodness like why is someone enabling you to like keep doing this um but you also include my favorite section list was the five things that are always in your cupboard and mm-hmm. you include um, beans in this and different kinds of vinegars. And so I think the bean is really underutilized in American cuisine just because it's so amazing. It's like the perfect, like, I don't know, legumes are just my favorite thing in the world probably mm-hmm. at this point. And so when I saw all of these different beans, it gave me a lot of great ideas how to use them because whenever I talk to other people, they're always like soup. And I'm like, okay, yes soup, but also what else? And I feel like you expanded that to round out your recipes and make them, um, you know, just very filling and, and, but also very simple at the same time. Why is it that you think that like the average person might be averse to working with beans? This is a very specific question. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fine. I mean, this is the kind of question I live for. I also, this was not planned, but I, I know no one listening can hear this and obviously feel free to cut this out, but I have to tilt my computer down to show you I'm wearing my Rancho Gordo (laughs) t-shirt, which is like my favorite, um, bean company. (laughs) This was not planned. You did not send me these questions in advance. I just love this company and I love their beans and, I love wearing this t-shirt. Um, so, well, I think a few things. One is, especially dried beans, I think that like a, a number of ingredients, and I'm thinking of things like yeast, stuff like that, like I think dried beans are an ingredient that make home cooks feel a little nerv- nervous, like am I going to mess these up? Like what's the right way to make this? Also make home cooks feel like time is not on their side because they take like a while to cook, even though they're really simple to prepare. So I think that sort of fear of messing something up, I think lack of time that comes through with dried beans. And then I think beans in particular, whether dried or canned, and I am a proponent of both. I use both all the time. 
I think beans seem boring to people and I think they seem like something you eat when there's nothing else to eat. And I think maybe they seem like they're lacking in, I don't know, flavor or fun, (laughs) but I feel like beans are wonderful. And I think they're like, when I have like a bag of dried beans in my cabinet or, you know, a couple cans of different types of beans, and I usually have a mixture of these things because I have a big cabinet. I just feel like no matter what, we have something like good to eat. And by good, I mean, because I don't like to moralize food. I'm trying not to like use that word, but I just used it. So I want to explain what I mean, which is I have something that I know is going to fill us up. It's going to be like nutritious and it's going to be like a blank canvas to go in any direction. Most importantly, like beans are just like little vehicles for flavor. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. they can take on anything and it can be mild. It can be spicy. You know, it can be for you and your husband and you can both be happy. (laughs) Um, You know, they're used across the world in you know, every single like culture and cuisine. And I think that tells us a lot, like they're really versatile you know, they're affordable. It's like good for the environment. Like there's just not a bad thing to say about beans in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I am pro bean (laughs) (laughs) and I'm pro lentil too. (laughs) I, I really love them. My family did not eat them growing up at all. And so when I became an adult, I began experimenting more. Um, and when I, uh, started dating, my spouse, he's from California. So I would go out there and it just was like a whole new world. All this fresh produce because growing up, we're kind of in a a food desert in the sense that fresh food is hard to find. And when I was gluten-free, some people didn't even believe gluten existed. It was that early. (laughs) And so we would have to travel two hours to go to Trader Joe's or something in a bigger city. And so when I went to California, they could drive five minutes to the grocery store and have this wall of produce. Mm-hmm. And I lost my mind. And I was like, what is this? So I basically sat in my mother-in-law's kitchen and we started talking about food. I learned about avocados, which are <laughs> amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite thing probably was chickpeas. And even now, if I'm hungry and I eat small meals, so if I'm hungry and I, and I eat one kind of food at a time, I'll just take chickpeas from a can and you strain them, dry them off a little bit, put oil in your pan and you cook cook chickpeas on the stove and just add some spice. Um, There's this black truffle garlic spice I've been using. It's a blend from a local spice shop and it's amazing and it's perfect. You can then save it later. It reheats well. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean... Like you said, you could take those chickpeas and then go a totally different direction as well. If you want to go like Italian or or whatever you had in your cabinet, and they're just warm and and comforting. But also I know that they're healthy for me, and I'm going to be able to process it with my medical diet. And Mm -hmm. it's just like all the things align with chickpeas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and it's so nice to know, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for you, but it sounds to me like it's nice to know you've got this thing you can fall back on, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if for any medical reason, you know, things are... Uh, you know, off the table for you. I think it's, it's nice to surround yourself with the foods that make you feel good and, you know, that are easy to prepare and you can just rely on them. Like, I feel like that's something that I love about home cooking is it just feels like this reliable thing in, in my home, um, and in my life. So yeah, I really, what you said about chickpeas really 
resonates. <laughs> and I like how you also mentioned in the beginning of the cookbook, you wanted these ingredients to be readily available. And you talk about living in a rural area and like it needs to be within a certain mile radius. Was that always something you wanted to include in this cookbook? Or was it something that just came about as you were putting your recipes together for it? Yeah. I mean, my my rule for myself that I try to follow is, yeah, if I can't find it within like half an hour of my house, not meaning it's grown here, um, because that would mean that I would never use like a lemon or a lime or a banana. And I don't know, I love all those things <laughs> or chocolate or coffee or these things I consume a lot of. I mean, yeah, ideally it would be great if we could have all those things grown near where we live. But anyway, my rule for my cookbook is I... Yeah, I don't call for any ingredient I can't find within half an hour of my home. And if I do make an exception to that, which is rare, but if I do make an exception, I will tell you where you can find it online. And I will also tell you a bunch of other things you can do with it. So you're not just using it for this one recipe that might be, you know, new to you. And the reason I do that is because I just want the recipes in my book to be recipes that most people can make wherever they are. And that feeling of accessibility feels really important to me. But also it's kind of, I don't know, it's a very imperfect goal because what's available within half an hour of my home, which is in a rural area, but, you know, I'm on the East Coast, you know, I'm in New York State and, you know, what's available half an hour from my home is different than somewhere in the middle of the country or on the West Coast. And not to say my options are better or worse, they're just different, you know, food changes depending on where you are. So I try to keep things pretty, I don't know, simple and and easy to find because I just, I don't want the feeling of like, oh, that I don't know where I would find that ingredient or I have to go to a specialty place or I have to spend a lot of money to make this recipe. Like any of those things, I just, I don't want that to happen for anyone who cooks from my book that said, I think there are some, you know, specialty foods and things that are locally made that are amazing. And like I, you know, we have a neighbor who keeps bees, so he gives us honey all the it's time. Amazing. It's amazing. Like what an amazing neighbor. But like, and it tastes different than other honey I've had. But like, I'm not going to say go to my neighbor Peter and get the honey, <laughs> you know, to make this recipe. Like that's a special thing I enjoy in my home, I'm so grateful for, but I'm not going to specify it to that degree because that makes it inaccessible for other people. So I try to keep things as kind of open and broad as possible with, I guess, just the disclaimer here on your show to say, like, whatever is really special near you, like, it doesn't mean you can't have it by all means, like, enjoy it. Oh, your recipes allow for a lot of substitutions and they also are like, almost like a starting place. And if you want to play with the recipe, you have that ability and you leave that open-ended, which I really love. And I found it very accessible in that way as well, because I could swap out a bean for a different kind of bean mm -hmm. or, you know, they, most of them don't use a lot of flour. So it's really easy just to use like a Bob's Red Mill or something and like swap that out which is really great and makes it sort of like fun to make the I, I like to make the same thing over and over and change it a little bit each time to see what I like and I yeah. felt like you could do that with your recipes yeah I'm so glad to hear that because that's definitely something I I encourage and I love to hear because I just think cooking is flexible like I think there's a sense out in the world I see often that recipes have to be followed to the letter and that they're almost prescriptions and I 
just don't agree with that. And I think recipes are like jumping off points. And I put a lot of time and effort and thought into how I write my recipes. There's a lot of time and thought and effort put into testing my recipes so that if you are someone who wants to follow the recipe exactly as written with the exact amounts, like you can trust that it will turn out. Um, You know, I take that trust very, very seriously and I don't take it for granted. So, you know, all that work has been done so you can rely on them. But also if you just flip past the pictures and read about the story behind the recipe and just feel like, oh, that's an interesting combination. And you go do it on your own and you never follow the recipe. That still feels to me like worth it and great. And, you know, people come to cookbooks for all different reasons. And some people come for the formal recipes and to follow the instructions. And some people come to riff on it. And, you know, I just want to hopefully give, you know, everyone who comes to the book something. So yeah, I don't, I don't really mind or care even what you do with the recipes, but if they're useful for you in some way, then that makes me feel really good. Yeah. And I really love how your take is on, you know, the subtitle is 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food. So for you, what does healthy comfort food mean and how did that affect your approach to building the recipes for this cookbook? Sure. You know, healthy comfort food to me means having a healthy, comfortable, like comforting relationship with cooking and eating. You know, this is a healthy cookbook that's not about weight loss and it's not about restriction or deprivation of any kind. And it's very much about just feeling really good (laughs) and feeling good while we're cooking, you know, putting the music on or whatever it might be, having ingredients that are easy to find And also just feeling good when we're eating, eating food that, you know, is fun to eat, is, you know, full of flavor, like also just, you know, gives you lots of nutrients and all these wonderful things, um, but without being, you know, hit over the head with any of it. So, yeah, I think in terms of how this all came to be, like writing the recipes, it's interesting because I love food from all over the world and I've worked on books that you know, are from different parts of the world, represent different cuisines. I've worked with different chefs and authors on that. I've eaten, you know, at all sorts of restaurants during my life, like not really over the last year, but (laughs) in the before times, you know, I've gotten to travel and stuff. I feel really inspired by so many different types of food. And that means I've always had a hard time describing what kind of food I make when someone's like, oh, what kind of food is in your books? I always just say like, oh, it's home cooking. Like it's food that's easy to make at home. But I've had a hard time describing like exactly what the recipes are. And I tend to just start talking a lot as I'm doing right now. (laughs) And I don't know how to describe it. And one day my wife, Grace, was just like, Julia, you make healthy comfort food. Like that's what you make. And it just felt very like clarifying for me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is what I make. And it's like food that is from different places, but it all comes back to this sort of healthy comfort food. And it's, you know, on a logistic level, it doesn't leave out any ingredient. You know, I use sugar in my desserts. I use butter. I use sour cream. I put sour cream in so many recipes. (laughs) I just love sour cream. Uh, You know, I'm not afraid of fat or sugar. I'm definitely not afraid of flavor, but I'm just very considerate of, what I use and how much I use. And I just make sure it all serves like a purpose. Yeah. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like when Grace was first diagnosed and that I get to 
just apply a lot of care and consideration with what I'm cooking. I think that kind of comes through in the healthy comfort thing. Yeah. And I feel like for me, when I think of comfort food, I think of nostalgia. Uh, But for me, it's been a struggle because all of the food that I'm nostalgic for, I can no longer eat because Mm. it was all full of, you know, what is it? Wheat, soy, and corn that make up like so much the majority of the American diet. And I'm not supposed to have Mm -hmm. any of those things. And so I feel like I'm creating my own nostalgia in a way. And that's very much almost like another ingredient in your, your recipes, because it kind of evokes a nostalgia that you may not even actually have, but you still have that Mm -hmm. warm, homely kind of feeling, um, with your recipes. And I've been, um, recently working on a recipe for dairy-free, gluten-free tomato soup made with coconut milk. And Mm -hmm. of course I dump a bunch of spice in it, but it's like, I open up four cans, I pour them into my Vitamix, put the spices in, tons of black pepper, and you like, you know, you blend it, you put it on the stove, you could heat it up, you save it for later. And I saw was flipping through your book and you have like a carrot soup recipe. And I was like, look, look, Sam, poor Sam is really had a lot of earful from <laughs> this book, apparently. Uh, and I was like, look, look, I can make this. This is like what I make. He's like, I'm happy for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy for you too. And your tomato soup sounds great. It sounds delicious. And tomato and coconut are good friends. And, well, most people are like, well, they think like coconut, they think tropical, but I'm like, this is a way to get dairy like fat into your mm-hmm. food. No, super creamy. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. amazing. No, and the flavors go so well together. But I think most importantly, from what you said too, just like, I don't know, that sounds really powerful to me, like creating your own nostalgia and having foods that are comforting to you, but that also take care of what your current needs are. Like to me, that's true comfort and true caretaking. Um, So I think that's great. That also just sounds so good. I feel like I want to go make that now. (laughs) Feel free. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) Uh, I I really love there's these sections. I'm not sure what you you call them. It's they're um, on this blue paper in the cookbook, and you can see the different um, where they appear in the cookbook if you're looking at it. Uh, and they are titled a thought, and you cover different parts of um, your personal connection with food and some of the things that you wanted to include as almost like interludes uh, between the recipes. And um, what was your process like for that? And how did you decide what you wanted to c- include um, in the cookbook? Sure. So yeah, what you're referring to are a handful of these kind of short essays that are just pretty randomly distributed <laughs> through the book. They're there because they do, you know, give me the opportunity to discuss things that feel incredibly important to me, incredibly relevant in a book about healthy comfort food. And they weren't necessarily tied to like an individual recipe. You know, every recipe in the book is introduced with, you know, a story with some context really for why I included it, what it means to me, where I learned it from, who I learned it from, that kind of thing. But there were a few topics, including you know, a reflection on body image. To me, that's a really important thing to talk about in a book that's about healthy comfort food that's not about weight loss. There's an essay about anxiety, um, my anxiety, and the intersection of 
that and cooking, you know, because mental health to me is a huge part of feeling healthy. And then there's, you know, there's a love letter to my gas grill, <laughs> just because I love, I love grilling and I love my gas grill. But also that's an extension of that sort of thing we were talking about earlier, like the ease of the recipes, the simplicity of them. You know, part of why I love my gas grill is because I can cook a ton of food and I don't have a bunch of pots and pans to clean. <laughs> that's part of why I love it. It also means I'm outside for a little while and that makes me feel really good. So all these things kind of tie in, but they weren't yeah, attached to any particular recipe. And my editor, Julie, who was wonderful to work with, um, she really encouraged this sort of extra writing. And this is something that definitely sets Simply Julie apart from my other books. I've never included essays like this in a book. And I'm so glad I did not only to address those issues, but to also basically extend this conversation I feel like I'm always in with readers, like we were talking about before. And I think that anyone who picks up a cookbook is someone who's, in my opinion, in my experience, because I'm a person who picks up cookbooks all the time, I'm sitting... I mean, I know not everyone can see, but you can see these bookshelves behind me. They're full of cookbooks. And these aren't all the cookbooks I own. Like there's more in my home. And this is a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I know that I'm a person who picks up cookbooks all the time. And that means I'm thinking about food, but it also means I'm thinking about a lot of other things that have to do with food besides just recipes. And I just value that in my readers. And I want that to be part of the conversation I'm I'm able to have with everyone. You know, I can talk about the recipes all day. I'm so happy to. We can talk about all the soups. Like I love all the soups in the book. But also it feels really valuable to get to talk about things like, yeah, mental health, about body image, about grilling. You know, <laughs> like these things are just part of it for me. Like when I'm thinking about food, I'm not just thinking about like, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? And I, I really love that, that you have that personal connection. And when people talk about healthy cooking, it's always like followed up. Oh, like how much weight have you lost? And mm -hmm. that was never part of this book, which is no. what I love. Because for me as someone who's lost weight because they're sick, mm -hmm. that has a lot of negative connotations for mm -hmm. me. And there's no calorie counts. There's no nothing. And for me, eating healthy is to fuel my body in the best way I can, whatever it looks like. And so I really love that about this because I feel like you really capture what healthy eating really is, which is just to fuel your body. It's not a cosmetic thing. It's like a, a whole heart thing. I, I struggle sometimes when I see other healthy cookbooks because they do focus so much on weight loss and that's just mm -hmm. not, it really just shouldn't, shouldn't really be a part of it. I know that's yeah. Kind of, that's very opinionated, but like I have lots of feelings I mean, around it. It's an opinion I 1000% agree with. And that is definitely a huge part of what makes me so happy that I've been able to publish this book and to just make a little bit more room on the shelf of, you know, healthy cookbooks to leave room for one that isn't about weight loss and doesn't promote it because weight loss does not equal health, you know, skinny and healthy are not the same thing. And I really appreciate what you just shared. And I think that's really valuable for people to know that sometimes weight loss, it doesn't feel good for someone or it doesn't come from something that they're happy about or, you know, and it can be caused by all sorts of things, you know, including depression or anxiety. Like it's, it doesn't correlate with necessarily having like a healthy 
body or a healthy relationship with your body. So I think it's a really honestly dangerous thing that a lot of healthy cookbooks kind of promote this idea that healthy and skinny are the same thing. I think that is, yeah, I think it's dangerous. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is fsastore.com. So what is a flexible spending account, FSA, or health savings account, HSA? FSAs and HSAs are personal health funds where employees can put aside a portion of their income tax-free to save on thousands of eligible health and wellness expenses. So do you have an FSA? Looking for an easy, reliable way to spend your valuable healthcare dollars? Go to the fsastore.com for all of your eligible essentials. Get ready for cold and flu season with medicine cabinet must-haves like Tylenol, Zyrtec, Children's Motrin, and more. Be prepared with at-home diagnostics with top products like our contactless thermometers, cold and allergy medications, on-the-go blood pressure monitors, and at-home COVID testing kits. With over 6,000 plus eligible items, FSA Store is the largest online site with 100% eligible products guaranteed. Whether customers have questions about their accounts, want recommendations on products or assistance on their orders, FSAStores.com's trained professionals are available 24-7. So to learn more about FSAStore.com, head over to their website, FSAStore.com, and check out all of their offerings. And thanks so much to them for sponsoring. Well, I'm, I could talk to you about your cookbook for ages, but I wanted to ask you some fun questions. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, please. So kimchi. I have been looking mm-hmm. for kimchi, but I live in the old south kind of rural. And so I'm struggling to find a place that sells kimchi. Um, I am, my skill is not great enough that I could make it. So where would you recommend, um, a process of either a brand that you like or a way of finding a brand that you like? Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned to me where you're located and I, I don't know specifically what is available in that area, but I know that the Korean population in the American South is just expanding every day. And in places like Atlanta and outside of Atlanta and stuff, like there's so many amazing Korean grocery stores. Um, So I think finding where, you know, the Korean community is closest to you, um, finding out where, you know, any Asian American community is closest to you. Like you can probably find kimchi in any of those stores and so nice to support those stores. Um, But I think if that is, you know, a far drive, I'm not sure off the top of my head about mail order like online, but one brand that I love so much, I really just think their kimchi is so good. Um, The brand is actually called (laughs) mother-in-laws. Um, So kind of fun and easy to remember. And I just think they make excellent kimchi. And I know that they, you can order um, the red chili powder, the gochugaru that is used to make kimchi. You can order that from them. You can order the gochujang, which is like a a chili paste made with that chili powder. Um, So I know they send both of those things. I don't know if they send kimchi in the mail. They might. It's just kimchi is like a 
it's alive, right? <laughs> like it's this preserved fermented thing that continues to preserve and ferment. So I think when it comes to shipping it, it might be a little complicated. I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but you can order those um, spices and flavorings from them, which is great because then if you do want to try your own, then you've got those ingredients that kind of kickstart it. And making kimchi at home is actually, I think a really, really fun thing to do. Um, and you can make like a quick kind of pickled kimchi. You can, you know, ferment it for like a year. <laughs> you can do everything in between. So, uh, yeah, I think also like there's amazing, amazing, amazing Korean cooking videos like on YouTube and stuff. So you can follow those. That's like a fun way to learn how to do that. And kimchi, I think when I say it or when I hear that word, I most often think of, um, you know, cabbage kimchi with red chili. I think that's like the most popular one, but there's like hundreds of types of kimchi. And from what I understand, and this is, and I'll just give you some context for my understanding. Cause I worked on a PBS travel show and a cookbook that was about Korean food and we got to travel around Korea. So I am not an expert here, but this is where my whatever amount of knowledge I have is coming from that experience in shopping in a lot of Korean grocery stores in the States. Um, kimchi is pretty much like a verb. Like you can kimchi, different, like you can pickle different things and ferment different things. So it's a lot of fun to try different types and kimchi, different vegetables. And um, there's like a type of kimchi. I can't remember the Korean word for it. I'm sorry, but it's called water kimchi and it actually has no chili in it. Um, like your spouse might really like it. And it's just like a very kind of like, it's, I don't know, it's like a really gentle kind of mild flavor, just like slightly pickled, like a teeny bit sour, not really. It's just, I don't know, it's really nice. Now, I've talked to you about my obsession with lentils. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so do you have a similar ingredient where you are just love so much that you want to play with it, whatever varieties or anything like that? Oh my gosh. In a similar I, way? I feel that way about most things <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. The first thing that just came to mind actually was buttermilk. Um, in the back of the book, you know, we talked about in the front of the book, there's five lists that each have five things on it. And then, cause I just love making lists. It's like how my brain organizes things. Yeah. So in the back of the book, there's another section, seven lists, and each of those has seven things on it. So one of them is a list of ideas of things you can do with buttermilk because a question I get asked so frequently, like way more frequently than I ever could have predicted is what can I do with leftover buttermilk? Because I think a lot of people buy it to make something like a cake or cornbread or pancakes or something. And whatever recipe they're using will call for maybe a cup of it, but you know, buttermilk, tends to be sold in quart containers and a quart is four cups. So maybe you use one and then you have this container with three more cups and you don't know what to do with it. And I just have been asked that so many times that I was like, well, let me come up with seven sort of fun ideas for things you can do with leftover buttermilk. So that's an ingredient I think I'm always kind of thinking about like, oh, what other things can you make with it or do with it? It's also an incredibly versatile ingredient. You know, it adds so much just acid and flavor and kind of it tenderizes things from cakes to chicken. <laughs> you know, it's just great. I love it. Um, and I usually have some in my fridge because I now use it to make those seven things and more. All right. So we talked a bit about your cookbook. Are there any cookbooks that have come out recently that you have especially loved that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. I appreciate that question. Um, so one cookbook I'm biased 
I'm extremely biased because I got to work on it, but I just think it's truly one of the most wonderful books to have come out recently, but of all time. And it's called MBB's Kitchen. And uh, my friend and colleague, Hawa Hassan, is the author of the book. And I got to help Hawa make this book. And it is just a really, really wonderful special book. And it's recipes from and interviews with grandmothers from the eight African countries that touch the Indian Ocean. So it's a collection, again, of recipes from home cooks. Um, There's also just a lot of uh, sort of storytelling and history and their voices are in the book. You know, the interviews are just, you know, these wonderful interviews with them. So that's a really, really special book. There's beautiful photography in it. So a shout out for Mbibi's Kitchen. And there's also a book that came out last year um, called Snacking Cakes. by um, a a friend, Um, Yossi wrote the book and it is, I think it's like 50 recipes, but each has like a bunch of variations and all of these cakes are so simple. They're like, you can make them in one bowl, you bake them in like one pan, like you're not, you know, taking out a big mixer or anything. And they're just really simple, wonderful cakes. So snacking cakes, I love. And lastly, it's not a cookbook, but I think it's I don't know. It's very related to this conversation and it's a book. I just, any chance I get to share books that feel important to me. Um, There's a book by Aubrey Gordon called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat that came out a couple months ago. Um, I think if, you know, if any of our conversation today that touched on how do we define healthy or, you know, any of that, anything about body image or anything like if that, you know, if your ear perked up a little bit for any of that, like, please read this book. It's really, really important. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. Well, thank you for sharing those and I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. Awesome. Listeners can go check them out. Um, and also where can people find you and your podcast? Because you also have a podcast, which I was listening to yesterday and I just fell in love with Gia Tolentino all over again. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. She also has such a great voice. (laughs) Like she's such a great person to have on your podcast because her voice is um, so wonderful. Um, We actually had a conversation recently that she has like a whole side life doing like voiceover work. I noticed. I've heard (laughs) some of them. I was like, wait, I think it's Tolentino. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, Anyway, yes, I have a podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On. Um, Thank you for bringing it up because I love making it. And actually, Aubrey Gordon, um, who I just told you about, um, I've done an episode with her and Hawa from Mbibi's Kitchen. A couple of years ago, I did an episode with her and this really, really wonderful woman, Beth Linsky, who um, they have like a really special kind of like mentor relationship. Um, So anyway, you can find that. You can find all the information about me and my books, including everything about Simply Julia, you know. All of the above can be found at my website, which is just juliatertian.com. And it has links to everything. And, you know, you can buy the book from my local bookstore. I can sign it for you if you want. All the podcast shows are there. So episodes, um, that would be the right word. Yeah, all there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm sure everyone go check out. I'm going to go um, do some cookbook shopping probably here in a few minutes. So thank you for sharing those. I really <laughs> appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This really was a pleasure and I appreciate it. And that's our show. 
I'd like to thank Julia Tertian for talking with me about Simply Julia, which is out now from Harper Wave. You can find Julia Tertian on Twitter and Instagram at Tertian and on her website, juliatertian.com. Reading Women is part of the LitHub Radio Network. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. This episode was produced and edited by me, Kendra Winchester. Our music is by Mickey Saito with Isaac Green. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thank you so much for listening.